to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is June 29th, 2016, and I'm your host, William Hill. Uh, today we're going to sit down, and, and as we usually do each year, uh, as we work our way around the various Presbyterian denominations in the United States, we're going to uh, be talking with uh, Jim Stevenson. He is the pastor of Providence OPC in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and also a graduate of Greenville Seminary. I don't remember the exact year. I'm sure he'll correct me or tell me in a minute. But we'll be talking with him about the most recent OPC General Assembly that just uh, wrapped up a couple weeks ago and some of the ins and outs and and background and and information uh, regarding their assembly. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Let me uh, let everybody know uh, what we're doing here at the podcast. As as many of you already know, we have dates scheduled throughout the summer all the way into late August already uh, established, guests lined up. And so there's a number of great topics on hand, including... Uh, the the PCA uh, General Assembly uh, wrap-up that I'm sure many are just dying to hear, I guess. But be that (laughs) as it may, uh, if you want to know what is coming up on the program, you can go to the website, confessingourhope.com, and just click on the um, upcoming broadcast link there, and um, it'll give you the full full spectrum of everything we're going to be accomplishing. Of course, we're working on other ideas um, in in addition to those that are already listed, including um, some 15-minute spots with various graduates of Greenville Seminary, what they've been doing since they've graduated their work, their ministry, ways they can be helped or assisted, prayers um, offered on their behalf, and that kind of thing. So look for some of those ideas and things in recent, in in coming days. Additionally, just in case those of you uh, who don't don't know, uh, we are phasing out the GPTS mobile app we, we realize we probably have the programs in, in redundant places, and so we have st- we're phasing it out uh, effective immediately, and um, so it will no longer be updated. And if you want to read more about that, you, again, you can go to our website at confessingourhope.com. So as I said, we're going to be talking with Jim Stevenson. He's a fellow New Yorker. He's a big-time Yankee fan like I am, as all of you know. So this ought to be a really interesting conversation. Thanks. But uh, we don't really have anything to brag about uh, this year, or well, at least not. Yeah, but we, but Jim, it's good to have you on. Um, I know you're about an hour behind me, and I'd forgotten about that, actually. That's why I had uh, Drew uh, email you to make sure we were on the same page time-wise. But thanks for taking the time and coming on to, to give a summary wrap-up of what you all did. Sure, yeah, Bill, it's good to be here. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I think we did this about four years ago. Uh, yeah, when you graduated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so 2012 was when I graduated. So so he's a veteran. You know, I just graduated. I, I'm a rookie. I don't know what <laughs> I'm doing yet. So I figured it out as I go. But, Jim, it, it, the most recent GA was um, for the OPC. That's the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, for those who don't know, and, and I probably shouldn't assume that, but um, was just held in, remind it me. It was uh, Sandy Cove Bible Conference or Sandy Cove Ministries. It's in the town of Northeast Maryland. That That's literally the name of the town, Northeast uh, Oh, really? Yeah. So, Northeast Maryland, that's the name of the town. That's and it. geographically, it kind of is in the northeast of Maryland, so it's very convenient. It is a beautiful facility. Um, uh, unfortunately, it's a little pricey to go there for the assembly, so this may have been the last time. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, I believe it was partially done there this year, as it was in 2011, for a monumental year in the OPC. So 2011 was the 75th anniversary of the OPC. 
this year was the 80th anniversary of the OPC. So I think that's why we had it there. Yeah, great. Now, yeah, you just answered my next question. How many years um, or what number General Assembly was this? Now, as uh, as I obviously know, and you obviously know, but many listeners may not know, um, there's there's a distinct difference between the way the OPC does their general assemblies as as um, as it compares to, for instance, the denomination I'm in, the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, in the PCA, we we send commissioners, and there's a particular rule how that gets done. But all teaching elders are able to go, and um, I think there's a number established for various ruling elders depending on the size of the church. But the OPC does it a little bit differently, Jim. Tell us how. You guys do. Yeah, it's a, it is a little bit different. So, for instance, uh, you had over, uh, well, potentially over a thousand people at the PCA General Assembly. Um, but in our Book of Church Order, um, it, it reads this way concerning commissioners the General Assembly, which is the governing body of the whole church, shall consist of not more than 155 voting commissioners. And then there are a couple of uh, those that are included, like the moderator and the clerk and so forth. So the max that we can have at any given General Assembly is 155 delegates or commissioners. That consists of both teaching elders and ruling elders. Now, how does how does that um, then get determined? Well, there's it, it has to do with um, the size of the regional churches, the presbyteries, the number of churches and also the number of, of ruling elders. There is some formula somewhere that I don't quite have memorized yet, and it's a bit confusing even for this former math teacher. So. I was going to say, didn't didn't you take? Didn't weren't you a math teacher? <laughs> I was. Um, so yeah, there are a number of different little nuances to the formula based on the size of the presbytery and so forth. So for instance, our presbytery. I'm in the presbytery of the Central U.S. I believe we are the smallest presbytery in the OPC. Um, we only had, um, for this assembly, two teaching elders and one ruling elder. So I was one of them. And the previous two assemblies, we only had one teaching elder. So the formula does shift a bit depending on uh, a number of different factors. And of course, obviously, some of the larger presbyteries had more teaching elders and ruling elders. Sure. Now, these are elected by your individual presbytery? That's then? correct. So, for instance, my presbytery, we only meet twice a year. So we actually elect our commissioners in our fall meeting because our spring meeting is in April. And by then, all the reports and everything should be in. So, Sure. Yep. Yeah, it kind of puts you behind the eight ball as far as plans yeah. and all that that is needed. Now, in addition to the, the 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 fact that the OPC is what we call a delegated assembly, as opposed to the PCA, the way they do it, I'm not sure about the ARP. We'll probably find that out in a few weeks when we talk with Jeff Kingswood mm -hmm. on how they do things. But in addition to that, you also uh, usually, I think, I, I don't remember a time when you haven't stayed. Everything happens right at the venue. That's correct. Yeah. Well, th there was a pre-assembly conference. Um, on human sexuality, gender roles, and things like that. Now, I personally did not attend that only because of the Greenville Conference this past March. Um, so the topic was already pretty familiar to us. Um, so me and my family, my whole family was there, by the way. They helped serve in 
various capacities at the assembly. But we decided we weren't going to attend that just because we were already at the Greenville conference in, in March. Mm-hmm. Now, just a curiosity question as it pertains to the delegated element of the assembly. So the, the presbyteries appoint, elect these different men, teaching others, ruling others to go. What, what about in the case of um, a man who is not necessarily pastoring a church? Um, I, I would refer them to ministering without call or ministering out of bounds, as it may be. Um, how does that work? Like I'm thinking of a man like Dr. Curdo, who's a professor at Greenville Seminary. Um, how does he get elected to go? As a delegate, basically the same way that any pastor of a church would. So, and because you mentioned Dr. Curdo, I used to be in that presbytery, the Presbytery of the Southeast. Um, they have about seven slots for teaching elders, I believe. Um, but yeah, they, any teaching elder that is on the role of the presbytery can be nominated. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I was wondering that because I saw various pictures and. I knew like Dr. McGraw was there and I think Dr. Curdo was there. That's correct. Um, and I was like, well, they're not, you know, Dr. McGraw especially is not connected formally to a church, but he's in the press cherry. So how does that all, you know, work itself right. out? But I'm sure you, th- that neat little formula that nobody can understand is, uh, or at least we can't, or you can't understand. Uh, basically <laughs> um, in the presbytery, if they're a minister, they're eligible for nomination. Outstanding. Very good. Well, I, I'll admit that as a PCA guy, I wish and I do believe that if the PCA would shift to a delegated assembly, we would eradicate a lot of the things that we see happening in our denomination. Um, I, do I think that'll ever happen? No. Um, but it would be, uh, I think, beneficial in the long run. Now, at this particular assembly, uh, there were a number of, of housekeeping things that you almost always do, um, various committees and reports and and, and and that, I suspect, is very similar to ours. But there are always those other issues that um, have to be handled. Um, and one of the big issues this year, as anybody who follows the follows Facebook or the blogosphere know, knows, um, you, we're all dealing with the issue on republication. So before you give us how the assembly handled that, first tell us, and I don't want to hope I don't put you on the spot here, but I, I think I'm, I don't think I am. Um, what is republication? Don't have to get a big, long theological explanation, but summary. And then how did the OPC handle it? What did they do? What was their process and how did they get to the conclusion? All right. Um, the question of republication, it's, it's, I'll try to distill it very simply. It's a question of how we view the Mosaic covenant in particular. Um, so that those who hold to um, this current view of republication, and there really are a few different ways that you can view republication, but the idea that in some sense, that's the language used, in some sense, the Mosaic Covenant is a republication of the covenant of works. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a very simplified answer to that, but um, it, that, that's in essence what the question was. And so in terms of the history uh, as to how we got to this point, well, two years ago, Um, At the General Assembly, Um, an overture came from the Presbytery of the Northwest, which was kind of co-signed or affirmed, if you will, by another presbytery. Um, uh, The Presbytery of the Northwest were having some issues on this question. Um, And so they sent an overture to ask for the erection of a study committee uh, to see 
In what sense at all is the Mosaic Covenant a covenant of works? And so the committee worked for two years, basically, and then they came out with their report this year. The report itself is, is just about 90 pages. So, Is that publicly accessible at this point, or is it still being finalized? The report itself is finalized. It's going to be put up on the website, the OPC website, along with the other uh, reports like creation and justification from years past. So... Um, I guess it just okay. needs to be formatted for better use. Uh, there were sure. very slight yeah. modifications made to it on uh, by the committee itself, um, it, but there, in terms of the substance, it, it really did not change at all. So, now um, I asked that question about its pub, you know being published so that. Now, listeners, of course, if they're interested in what, you know, how the OPC uh, responded to the study committee, what the substance and core elements were of the study committee and their findings and conclusions, um, they'd have a, a means by which they could read that at some later date. Now, who was on the study committee? If, if I don't think that's yeah, no, confidential anymore. Um, <laughs> the committee, and this is, these are the men in no particular order. There were five men. Uh, Reverend uh, Craig Troxell, who's up in mm-hmm. Wheaton, Illinois. Um, Benji Swinburneson, who is in the Presbytery of the Northwest, um, Chad Van Dixhorn, a friend of the seminary, um, what's that, three, uh, Brian Estelle, out in yep. California, and who was the other one? How could I be blanking on this? Did I mention four or five? Four. four. Yeah, I feel bad for the guy that I've left out now. Who, who's the other one? Well, he's not unimportant, but whoever he was, <laughs> we'll, uh, yeah, it's okay. It'll come to you sometime around and 2.30. I, I feel bad for the poor guy because I'm leaving him out. Just don't call me when you remind, if you remember in the middle yeah. of the night. Shoot me an email, a text message. Anyway, no, but it's an important study committee um, because if I understand, remember correctly, it, was, um, it, it wasn't just dealing with the theological question. Of course, that's there, but is, if I understand it correctly and... It was relating its essence, its 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 positions as it relates to our standards in the Westminster Correct. Confession, and 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 so how um, so what's the process now? The study committee uh, presents their report, and then what happens at that? Well, point? basically, it, they took two years to come up with a report. And by the way, the fifth guy was Lane Tipton. I should have known that. Um, uh, the committee presented its report. We discussed it, we questioned, um, and then effectively there were three recommendations that were adopted. Um, The first, of course, was just simply to receive the report. Um, So uh, let me give you the recommendations. I do have them here. So so the first recommendation was basically that – Presbyteries examine a candidate's understanding of the covenant of works and the Mosaic covenant and his ability to communicate the exegetical, historical, and confessional considerations involved. Um, To me, that's a decent recommendation. That's something we should be doing anyway, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on on this particular question. So the second recommendation was that the General Assembly commend to presbyteries the specific topics for examination of candidates enumerated at the close of our report. And again, that 
The second recommendation seems to expand on the first. That's just my opinion. And they give some suggestions, but, but it is the kind of thing we do it anyway. Um, and then the third recommendation that the General Assembly distribute this report to the presbyteries and their candidates and credentials committees for study and make the report available to interested parties who wish to study it. So now, now, what, and of course, these things, these were all adopted. They were. And so how does that then, um, what, what's, what, pos, what place does that take authoritatively in the OPC? Well, really, I don't mean to, to sound somewhat flippant with this because we do use the term quite a bit in other contexts. But at the end of the day, this really is just pious advice, like the committee on or the, the creation report, for instance. Um, right. Here's, so it doesn't take a constitutional. It doesn't take the standing of the. No, constitution. it doesn't. So, and so it's so it's just helpful. That's information. correct. And basically it, it in and of itself um, does not dictate how you should believe um, authoritatively speaking. There are certain nuances within the report, certain nuances of or views of republication that the report says are out of bounds. Um, but in and of itself, it does not carry the authority to say in and of itself to any one candidate. It, it's still in the hands of the presbytery. Gotcha. So now, given that the study committee's being sent down to the presbyteries and they and hypothetically get a candidate that's not necessarily lockstep, lockstep with the study report, that would be then determined by the individual presbyteries within the OPC to assess the candidate's qualifications. On yeah, at point. the end of the day, that's that's what it is. And, you know, we do that anyway. So that's right. Now, how was this received by the assembly? I mean, obviously it passed, but I mean, how was it received as far as was there debate, strenuous debate, no well, debate? The, much of, there wasn't much debate. I guess there were a lot of good questions asked, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so, for instance, uh, I mean, this isn't this is pretty public knowledge now, or at least it will be anyway. So I'm not divulging anything. The minutes of the assembly have already gone out. So um, but a, about a third of the report uh, spent ink discussing Meredith Klein. Um, and potential readings of Meredith Klein's or interpretations of Meredith Klein, saying what views, if you take this kind of a reading, this would should be considered out of bounds, but if you take this kind of reading, it should be okay. So right, but you know, yeah, there's no fear of you giving giving away the farm because this program won't be actually released to the world until. Uh, August, wait, uh, July 29th, yeah. so month ahead of the game. So by then, everything should be yeah. out there and done. So, so it was. It sounds like it was received very well by the assembly. Do you remember the votes by any chance? As far as no, numbers? because it was just simply a voice vote. Okay, so great, very good. And then, okay, so that was. Would you say that was like the big issue? I mean, if you if you want to qualify it that way, well, I don't know, theologically, it yes. really was the big issue. And related to that, um, you know, the the original overture came out of the Presbyterian of the Northwest, but when two years ago this came before the assembly, the overture itself, we heard. I actually happened to be on the advisory committee that heard the overture, 
uh, before we brought it to the floor of the assembly. But one of the things that I and the other guys in the advisory committee could see is that there was a really big problem in that presbytery of, of, of conflict. It, I mean, it was bad. Um, so in addition to that committee, a special, another special committee was formed, uh, a committee of three to go in there and try to help heal some of the divisions that took place. Um, so tangentially related to the doctrine of republication as a result, two, per, two churches in that presbytery withdrew from the OPC, um, oh. Oh. Uh, at different times. Uh, but they did. And, th and that just shows the kind of rifts. And now things are moving towards healing, which is which is good. Um, so for the past two years, I've really been praying for my brothers there in the Presbytery of the Northwest. Um, yep. Yep. That sounds like the study committee not only accomplished a theological goal, but it also accomplished an ecclesiastical goal of bringing some peace and unity to the equation which it, you know the, the which should happen yeah. uh, if a study committee is doing a good job um yeah i won't get i won't go down on a tangent on some other denomination <laughs> study committee issues <laughs> we'll we'll get to that some other day but but i but that's encouraging to hear that that's how it was received and had that goal in mind as well that's very yeah i mean uh, the report in and of itself is helpful in my opinion um but there's there are also some questions that i had that I even asked on the floor of the committee that I did not feel were answered adequately. Um, mm -hmm. um, and I said so. And, and so there are still some concerns by some of us who, um, well, to put it frankly, I, I just don't see this doctrine of republication in the covenant of works. I just don't. Um, and as I asked the questions or asked one particular question, it just I just was not happy with the answer that I received. So, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to continue to see it discussed or debated. There's been books written on the subject by now, or certainly been written. I, have, I think I have a few. Have. And, and, and one of the books that kind of precipitated all this was the book called The Laws Not of Faith, um, which right. incidentally was really not touched on, on the, in this report. It was just alluded to at one point, but really was not referenced at all in this, in this report. Well, very good. So that was republication. Of course, that was the theologically big item, and, and it sounds like it, 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 it got great reception, um, generally speaking. Then, um, of course, one of the things, other things you do as an assembly, um, you know, let me back up a I, I just a curiosity question. I should have asked this in the beginning when we were talking about background. Mm -hmm. But um, your general assembly, as compared to others that I'm aware of, especially the PCAs, is much longer in yeah. general. And is that, is, do you, is it an open-ended, um, time frame, or is there, um, or is there a clear cutoff? I mean, in other words, it's going to end on this date. Yeah, matter. there is a clear cutoff. And my understanding is that it is a hard break. Um, and last year's assembly, which I was at also, we went right up to the wire. Uh, this year, the assembly was to end at Tuesday at noon would be the cutoff. Um, but we finished things that Monday night. So Tuesday we didn't even have to meet. So what happened in the outside chance that you didn't finish all your business by the cutoff date? <laughs> That's a good question. And <laughs> I'm not sure because I don't know that it's ever happened to be honest. Yeah. I wonder if they'd have to recess and do it 
another one later. I mean, I t- just popped in my yeah, head as that, you were saying that. But you do have a much longer assembly because some of the ways that you that the OPC debates and does business is very different again from what I'm familiar with. Um, you know, one of the things that we do on the floor of the GA at, P- at the PCA GA is invariably in the middle of debate, somebody's going to get up to the microphone and they're going to say those words that nobody, well, many of us don't like yeah. to hear. I call the question. Yeah. Um, cause that pretty much ends debate. If, if, if passes, the, the, that right. gets voted. Yeah. If it passes now, do you have that procedure in your, Assembly well, or some means by which you can end debate. Technically, it it's there to use, but there is this kind of unwritten rule that you don't you don't call for the question. Um, and in fact, that actually happened at one point during this assembly. Um, we had a motion on the floor, and then somebody proposed a substitute. And so the arguments and discussions and the debates were going back and forth on the substitute. And finally, somebody got up and said, move all previous questions, which which effectively, if passed, forces the vote on the substitute and then on the main motion with no further debate. Well, it's interesting because that debate was going on for a long time. The call for all previous questions came. We shot down that call for all previous questions. And then we continued back to the debate of, of the substitute in the main motion and no further debate happened. So the effect was <laughs> that all previous questions were voted on. It was a humorous yeah. thing. But, but generally in the OPC, we, we try to avoid calling for the question. And I think one of the, the benefits of that, and, and we have that in committee in the PCA. We can't call the question. In, in, I mean, it was tried twice in the committee I was on. Both times, the, the, the individuals that did that had to be told by the, by the chair, um, you can't call the question in committee. And we can't. I mean, we could debate for seven yeah. hours. And you just you can't call the question. I and mean, we're going to keep talking until we run out of things to say, as it were, or we get tired. And um, so just pe- so people understand that it's not that the PCA just – throws that out there because they can and we in committee you can't on the floor of the assembly you can but i like the idea that you stay away from it as much as possible as the opc apparently does because it allows to flesh out in dis, in, in deliberation the issues you are a deliberative body and therefore let's yeah. deliberate and um it just frees you up for that and i think that's very helpful especially when you're dealing with really hot button issues like republication or whatever else may come down the pipe. Now, the other things that you, you – there's a host of things you guys do at, at the assembly. Uh, why don't you um, highlight you know, the, the big picture things that you, that you almost always deal with at, at General Assembly? Well, and then we'll maybe dig into a in few. In terms more. of what we already, always deal with, we always hear reports from the, the program or standing committees of the OPC, the permanent committee. So, for instance, Committee on Christian Education, which had before us a pretty substantial thing. Um uh, basically, the Trinity, Trinity, Trinity Psalter, or not the Trinity, yeah. I, yeah. I misspoke. It's the new Psalter hymnal, um, yep, which yep. did get approved. So, and my understanding is the URCNA did as well. So, it's going to go to publication soon. Um, I don't have a date because there are still a couple of tweaks that have to be worked out related to um, copyright and so forth. But that is now moving forward toward publication. Um, so, we hear. That's great. Committee on Christian Ed. We hear from the Committee on uh, Church Extension, Home Missions and Church Extension, and we'll hear from a couple of guys who are church planners. 
So Mike Myers, friend of both of ours and a graduate mm -hmm. of Greenville, mm -hmm. this year he gave a little presentation of his work down there in the Royston area, um, which was well received. Uh, and other guys do as well. Then we hear from the Committee on Foreign Missions, and we that gets a little bit more sensitive because there are a couple of guys working in very well, hostile areas. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. things get a little bit careful in, in what's reported and so forth. Um, and then we also hear from, for instance, the uh, Committee on uh, in it, wait, Church, the Committee on Ecumenicity and Interchurch Relations. So our fraternal relations with other denominations like the PCA or the ARP and even foreign you know, churches in other lands like in Brazil or, or so forth. Who spoke for the? Who was the 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 representative from the PCA? Just uh, uh, let me see if I can find that here. I've got the page uh, from the PCA. Actually, I don't seem to have it listed here. So that's all right. No worry about it. I was just curious as to if I knew the person or not. Anyway. One of the benefits of being the host, I can ask almost anything yeah. I want. Almost anything <laughs> I want. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. So interchurch relations, you did foreign missions. Um, I forgot what else you said. Yeah, church, Christian education. We have a committee for the historian, um, committee on pensions. And actually, that's, that's an interesting one. It may not sound like it. In the more broader scope, um, again, I guess two years ago, the the – recommendation came to the floor that we establish a committee, to, a, a temporary committee to study the issue of ministerial care, meaning just the nuts and bolts of how a minister lives day to day uh, concerning sure. salary uh, and all those things, package. Um, and so that committee sent out a survey, that special committee, sent out a survey, and some of the numbers that they retrieved were a bit distressing. Um, you know, how many ministers are, are getting by but are unable to save and things like that. Uh, so at this committee, uh, or at this assembly, this little study committee, if you will, to study this, made a recommendation that we establish a new permanent committee on ministerial care in which the committee on pensions would, the work for them would get absorbed into it. Um, so I, and I think personally speaking, this is a good thing because I know myself as a minister now, even back when I was a ruling elder serving in the church in the suburbs of Philadelphia, uh, as an elder, I was always concerned to make sure, um, uh, is our pastor being well compensated according to what we are able to give and are his needs being met? Now I'm on the other side as a minister, and I'm always hesitant to say, well, you know, it's up to you guys. I always say it's up to you guys what you want to do. Yeah. Uh, but I think in general, if there's something there a little more permanent that is constantly looking at these issues— and bringing these issues to presbyteries and local sessions, I think it would be a real benefit in the long run for our ministers. Yeah, and it helps give guidance. It does. Um, I mean, not not every church can do it exact. You know, there's not a cookie cutter there formula, isn't. but at least at least it gives guidance. And and we you know we want our. I remember telling some uh, people recently that you you want good sermons every week. You want your pastors to be shepherding the people and visiting and doing all these things, but then. 
you know, you, you kind of saddle them with these other responsibilities that make it very difficult to do everything. And then they get paid very little uh, when in the grand scheme of things, because as you know, as a pastor, you've been doing it now for a while. I've just started administering officially at a church, um, you know, you're never really off the clock. There's never a time where you're just completely free, even when you're on vacation. I mean, it's, it could happen at any yes. moment. And um, so it's, it's, it, it's this idea that your worldly cares and concerns are being accommodated um, so that you're able to do the work of the ministry as you've been called to do. It's not just a job, but it's a calling. So I think that's very helpful and a wise move of the assembly in general to uh, ensure those yeah, things are happening. That should be finalized at next year's assembly. So standing um other general things before i get to the one that we haven't mentioned yet and you're probably going which one is that well you'll know in a second yeah yeah, no kidding oh i think in terms of other things well one of the nice things is at the return from various recesses we will hear from fraternal delegates of other denominations that are able to send somebody and some of those are foreign from our perspective. They're maybe from Europe or Brazil or Australia. Uh, and that's always a delight to hear what other churches are doing and their appreciation for the relationship that they have with the OPC. Um, it really wasn't, on the Saturn note, that it wasn't really mentioned, but we knew it was going to happen. Um, the Reformed Church of Japan, because of their recent stance about a year and a half to two years ago, of starting to allow the ordination of women. Since nothing changed with them, at the close of this assembly, our relationship with the Reformed Church of of Japan was disbanded, basically. Uh, So we no longer have any kind of fraternal relations with them. And those those are the sad things. Um, And you just hope and pray that the Lord would grant repentance uh, to to that denomination there. Now, you obviously have a, it's not just a local United States presence, but the OPC is very active in missions. And I know Dr. Curdo, who's a professor at the seminary, he's very active in missions. And so how are, how is the, the, um, how is that going? I don't know how to stay and ask the question. Overall, it is going well. Um, I'm just thankful for the way in one respect, how we do both home missions and foreign missions. Um, in general, those that we send over or those that we um, ordain and send on the home mission are salaried employees, so to speak, if I can use the business world terms. Uh, so they don't really have to go and raise support. Uh, that is one of the things that I really, really appreciate about the OPC. So if we appoint a guy or send a man over to, say, Uganda, because that's one of our biggest, um, biggest places in the foreign mission field, um, their salary, they don't have to go and raise support, uh, which is beautiful. They can get right to the work of the church. Mm. Yeah, and same great. with home missions, too. So where I am in Tulsa, we were a church plant. We're particularized now, but... Um, it, everything was set up in such a way that I did not have to go around and seek support for a new church plan. Yeah, that's very helpful, I think, in the long run. I wish that occurred in other Presbyterian denominations. Yep. I don't know that it does. I'm pretty sure it doesn't. Um, and it's a little out of my uh, 
knowledge base. The missions element is usually the foggiest one for me in general. But um, no, that's very that's very helpful in Uganda. Um, I know Dr. Curto again spends a lot of time in that yeah. area and in other places. And I think Mark, was it Mark Bube who's the yeah. he um, is the general secretary for the committee on foreign missions, and he does a great job. Yeah. He travels a lot, and in fact, last year. Just prior to General Assembly, he came to our church and gave a, a presentation that was well received and he really did an outstanding job presenting the work of the OPC around the world. So, very good. Now, of course, at General Assembly, you get to do the, those are the nice things and informative and encouraging and helpful and sometimes a little discouraging, think in Japan. But uh, then you have these, uh, this other issue that you're probably waiting for me to ask you deal with appeals and complaints and obviously by the nature of that um, item you can only say so much right. of course but um, take us through the general process in the OPC how that works and if you can what are some things you had to deal with well if you can't that's fine yeah. understandably well more broadly speaking all of the um, standing committees will meet with an advisory committee the first full day of the assembly. And so the standing committee uh, appeals and complaints does the same. They receive information from um, presbyteries and those appellants that are dealing with cases, whether they're appeals uh, of complaints or appeals of trials, things like that. The appeals and complaints committee right now, the standing committee, they help organize the information and make a basic recommendation on whether or not something should be found in order. The advisory committee also discusses the matter, and then eventually it comes to the floor of the assembly. Um, now, what we had this time were the potential for four complaints. It ended up being one complaint on appeal that we dealt with. Uh, unfortunately, it all revolves around an issue between two different congregations and a, uh, a family in which a divorce took place. And because of that, a lot of it ends up being very sensitive material. Um, yep. But this is a situation that has been going on for years already, and it's still not actually over, unfortunately. It's still going to be going on. Uh, part of it is one of the sets of complaints, if you will, complaints on appeal kind of came to the clerk too late. Um, and so this ended up part of this ended up getting remanded back to Presbytery. So it's still going to be going on. Um, that's the struggle with this and the people involved and, and so forth. It's just heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, you also want to judge things on proper information. Um, which uh, the advisory committee for these complaints said we don't really have enough of the information because of the things came in too late and you want a fair hearing of everything. Yep. And I think scripture, you know, warns us to make sure we do that. I, you know, as a teaching elder now in the PCA, you're minister in the OPC. I, you know, there's this, you, you always want to make sure things are done decently in order. You want to hear both sides of the equation. You want to, you want to get as much information as you possibly can before you render a judgment, because to render a judgment too quickly without all the information, you could you could make the wrong decision. Yeah. And 
on the other hand, you don't want to go so slow that you don't move at all. I mean, it's sort of that, that balance that always exists. And that's one of the benefits of being Presbyterian. And one of the reasons I love being Presbyterian is that we have these review and control uh, things built into our polity that um, safeguard, generally safeguard, um, horrific or tyrannical or, or, um, or, or just flat out bad judgments uh, made. And so um, this is one of the things that the assembly does. I know the PCA does the same thing. Um, you know, starts from the sessions, goes to presbyteries, ends up in GA. But um, it's important to do because at the end of the day, you're trying to make the best decision you can with the information you have. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to hear about personal issues like marriages yeah. and stuff. But at the end of the day, you're looking out for the best interests of the parties. And that's in rendering the right judgment justly yeah. and with our limited vision. And so the idea, of course, for those who don't understand Presbyterianism is that if you put three guys in a room and you give them a case, chances are, you know, the, 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 they could get it right. They may get it right. And, and being charitable, they will get it right. But if you put a hundred guys in who are looking at this issue and they're talking about it and they're debating the issues, looking at it from every angle, um, you're going to get perspectives that you probably didn't even consider if you were just three right. guys. And so you have that, but that benefit. Um, and I, I'm glad to hear that that, yeah. that is done. Um, <clears throat> I know that with the PCA, that's a little bit different. Um, you know, we have a standing judicial commission, and it kind of gets handled a little bit differently. But um, in a sense, it's the same I- same yeah. idea. Now, uh, Jim, how many? Um, and again, I should have probably asked this in the beginning. But um, how many churches currently the OPC have? Do they over, does the OPC have? Four um, hundred. A little over three hundred. Um, Got it. Okay. And that's in how many presbyteries? Yeah, we always get a report from the statistician of the OPC, and then. Uh, we get charts and all those fun things as well. Um, let's see. I've got his report right here. Um, it looks like the total membership of the OPC currently, this is at year's end 2015, was 31,191 persons and consisted of 535 ministers 22,913 communicant members and 7,743 baptized children that is non-communicant members. So, And how many presters? Uh, 13, I believe, is what it is. Fantastic. Fantastic. With Fantastic. some bigger than others, of course. Now, do you, um, does the OPC require um, you as a, as a delegate, when you, when you get back to your church, do you... Uh, update your congregation as to what uh, was done at the general Um, insofar as you're able to speak on some things. I don't know that it's necessarily required. I think a lot of us do it. In fact, we're planning on having me do so not this coming Lord's day because it's the 4th of July weekend, uh, but the following weekend um, that Sunday for, for the Sunday school hour uh, to just give a sure. basic report and a rundown of how the church operated and what issues came up and so forth. And why is that? In, why is that? Because I, I believe that's a very important thing to do. And, and I, I would, if I had a guess, I would say you would agree with yeah. that. And so, why is that important to do for the for the for the people that come to your church? They're not officers. They don't. But why tell them? I, I think primarily because we're Presbyterian, and as simple as that sounds, that's really the fundamental issue. Everybody should know how our church functions. We are not, and I'm talking about the church as a whole, not just the local congregation. We are connected. Our church, Providence Orthodox Presbyterian Church, is just that, a part of 
the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And so they should know what's going on in the denomination and how that could or could not affect them. Um, and also th this whole sense of Presbyterianism with the right of appeal. Uh, you know, I'll make mention of the appeals and complaints, but so that uh, what if we as a session make a decision that's, that's not right? The people in our congregation need to know that they have that right on the table to appeal to a higher judicatory. And they should mm -hmm. know that. Um, even if we're wrong, I want them to know that they have the option. Um, I, I joke around a little bit because originally I was a church planter here. One of the things that we in the OPC do with our church planters is that when the group is ready to particularize, they still have to call a pastor. So technically, this congregation right. here could have called somebody else. They could have said to me, thanks, but no thanks. But you know what? I made sure the congregation here knew that. They have a right to know that. Um, and I, it just makes for better policy and smooth running in the church. It really does. Absolutely. I, I mean, I totally agree with everything you said. I, I gave a report to my church um, after I got back from GA. And I, the struggle I tend to have in giving those reports is to try to give the, just give the yes. information and not editorialize my own opinions as to the events. Um, if they want to ask me what I really think later, mm -hmm. that's fine. But um, but it helps, as you said, it helps bring connection uh, that the, the people in the in the pews, as it were, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but um, or in a clerical way, like I'm not in the pew because I am. I just don't sit there every Sunday. Um, but in the sense that it, it, it shows them that they're they're connected to other brothers and sisters in Christ, if they, even if they never met meet them. Um, and that the church is there for them to minister to them, and this is one of the means by which we minister to them. And again, you, you touched on the appeals process, and so that sessions don't become tyrants and go off the rails doing, you know, start executing laws instead of being ministerial and declarative. Okay. They start executing laws that don't have any bearing on their on, on, on their responsibilities or what they should be doing. But it but it, it brings a unity as to the fact that we're part of one church as well as a local church in a local town region area. So, and, and I do the same thing with Presbytery too. When I come back from Presbytery, I'll give a minor, uh, you know, a short report. It doesn't have to be extremely detailed, but it's, unless people feel like, you know what, we're, we're part of this, you know, we're, we're, we're involved too, even though we weren't necessarily sitting there. Um, I've had many people, perhaps you've had this experience where the members of the church don't realize that they can go to Presbytery. You can go. I mean, if the presbytery stays in open session, you're you can watch and the proceedings and how it all happens. And if we go to executive session, obviously you'd have to leave. But um, in session meetings, are the same way. You know, the members can come yeah. to a session meeting, and they can see how their elders are interacting. I don't know how many times that's actually taken advantage of, but I do think it's a good thing to do to bring continuity to the fact that we're all in the same church. And and which really segues into uh, something I probably should have said. Um, before, but one of the reasons we do this on the podcast, you know, kind of hit hit the different denominations and their their uh, either their synods or their general assemblies is is to do just that is to make people aware of what's going on. Maybe not just in their own denomination, but certainly they're going to be more interested in that right. one. But also, what's going on in other denominations? Because while we're in a different denomination, we're still brothers in Christ, and some of the things that they do over in the OPC or we do in the PCA is going to impact them in some way or shape or yeah. form. And so it's good to be aware of those types of issues. So that's one of the reasons why we do this on the podcast. It's not just to 
public service announcement, but it's something that should help strengthen the church and bring more understanding to what the issues are out there. Any other things that you just have to say about the OPCGA, other than I know you guys had a great time of fellowship. I love the fact that you all eat together. I love the fact that you all basically are sleeping in the same general areas, at least on the campus. Um, there's a, uh, you know, there's that fellowship element that I think is fantastic. I wish we had, but, uh, we have it to some degree, but not well, like that. Well, I, I suppose, you know, being uh, the stuffy formal OPC, this is going to sound a little bit odd, but I want to take a step back a minute and really give a shout out to my wife and kids because I bring them to General Assembly um, and they volunteer. So my wife does a lot with the fo- photography and so does my oldest daughter with that. But the kids, they serve as pages and they go around and hand out documents to the to the men, the commissioners. Um, and I do that because I want them to love the church. And it really Absolutely. ends up a lot of commissioners will come up to me and to my wife and um, express to us how how good it is to see them doing this. Um, and it's an encouragement to them. And plus, they, they become a visible reminder there at the General Assembly of why it is we're there. We're there not just simply to debate issues. They are issues that affect the sheep under our care. And that's really what we need to always remember. We don't argue and debate for the sake of it, although Sometimes we get carried away. <laughs> sometimes it probably feels sometimes that Sometimes it does. But, but I, I remember a couple of years ago I had to, at General Assembly, I led one of the devotions. And I, I distinctly made this point to everybody that every discussion, every vote, every piece of deliberation is for the sake of Christ's sheep. And we need to do it out of love for them because Christ loved them. Yeah, well said. Well said. Well, why don't you, while you're giving a shout out to your wife and kids, why don't you tell everybody about your the the, the video venture <laughs> your children are often involved in, and, and you might as well take this opportunity while you I got will. it. I will. And, and hey, maybe someday you can interview them. Uh, uh, sure. Is that uh, is that a well, hint? It, that's up to you. So they don't even know I'm talking about this, right? And they know I'm talking to you, but not about this. Um, Well, my kids, uh, a couple years back, um, they, unbeknownst to my wife and I, uh, sorry, improper grammar, Dr. P is going to cringe at that one, Um, but unbeknownst to us, they created this video and they showed us the final edited project. And so we had no clue. They showed it to us and the video was titled, um, You Might Be a Presbyterian Pastor's Kid If... And they get this whole list of things. And it was humorous. It was hilarious. And there was born what is known now as the Calvinist kids in the kitchen. And so they produce videos every so often of various things. Some of it's um, just what we've been doing. Like one time they did a video of our uh, trip. New dog. (laughs) (laughs) The uh, Oklahoma State Fair, for instance, the Tulsa State Fair, I should say. Um, but also they've done videos of the General Assembly and what it's like for them to go out and serve at the General Assembly, uh, which they've put out the first edition for the 2016 Assembly. There's a second uh, video, part two, coming out shortly once the editing gets finished. Uh, But they're on YouTube, Calvinist Kids in the Kitchen. There are a lot of humorous things and then also uh, just some general fun things. If you are interested in... In that, I've looked at I've looked at quite a few of them, and they are yeah. funny and serious. Um, it, it's a good blend, and um, 
So just go to YouTube, search for it, Calvinist Kids in the Kitchen, just like it sounds, Calvinist Kids. Anyway, search that. It'll come right up. Um, if you follow on Facebook, um, whenever Jim and or his wife, probably both of them at the same time or relatively close to one another, will post on it and adver- you know, advertise it, so yeah. to speak, as well. So it is... Um, just had to mention it because, well, I had a feeling we'd end up there somehow anyway. So, um, so I get ahead of. I would say if you're going to watch them, watch them in date order. Go from the oldest to the newest because there is one right. video in the middle there that describes, uh, kind of in a science fiction kind of way, how the whole process got started, and it's actually a humorous little little video to do that. So, well, I would recommend the listeners to do that if you haven't heard of it already um jim you're obviously on facebook you're 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 on twitter but you don't use it all that often not too much um no it's uh yeah um but uh how uh how might the listeners pray for the denomination and pray for you as a minister out there in tulsa well i would say well i'll start here in tulsa um tulsa is a lot like greenville where you and i went attended it's a very heavily churched area, but the churches are what are some of the problems. Um, whereas Greenville, when I was there, you had a lot of the strict fundamentalist Bob Jones influence. Here, right. Right. we've got the Oral Roberts charismatic Pentecostal influence. I, you know, I forgot so, about that. So oh, while wow. we have a lot of churches in the area, and it is common for people to go to church here in Tulsa, there is very little reform teaching. Um, yeah, so, and that's really the core group that got our work started was really looking for solid applicatory preaching, um, the whole preaching of the whole counsel of God. Um, and so that's partly why they decided to go with the OPC and ultimately why they went with me as a Greenville grad. So now I remember when I remember when you got that opportunity, you were. Right at the tail end, I think, of your fourth year. And I remember that was all starting to yeah, kind of come together. Was. And um, in fact, I remember you went out one time and borrowed one of my books to read on the plane. <laughs> yeah. I <did. laughs> kind of Now, how do I remember these these little things that no one else remembers? But I can't remember the yeah, you know, simple I things know. like take my keys when I go out of the house and not lock myself out, um, which I did just recently do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now, so what, what about the denomination? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I've done oh. that so many times. Um, and and how can we pray for the I denomination? I guess really with the denom- Yeah, with the denomination as a whole, I would say please just continue that we remain faithful to God's word. Um, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we really don't want to get wrapped up in the modern uh, program emphasized type of things. Programs have their place, don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, Christ builds his kingdom through the preaching of the word, the right administration of sacraments and prayer, the ordinary means of grace, and that we would remain faithful and true to that. And also that our elders, both ruling elders and teaching elders, if you want to make that distinction, that's fine, um, would be alert and faithful, and that we would ultimately have a love for the sheep and a love for the lost. That's great, and we could pray that for all of our denominations. Across the country, as we seek to do the Lord's work, and it is His work, right. not my work. It's His work. I'm just an unprofitable servant in it, and um, 
but it is a good reminder. So those of you listening to this, um, you know, pray for the denominations. Uh, you know, it, when you think of it, pray for them and uh, pray those things that be faithful to God's word, preach the word, uh, the centrality of the sacraments and the preached word and, and, and faithful prayer um, is what builds the church. And uh, we don't live in a world that thinks that anymore. Right. And uh, sadly, and so pray for those things because that's the way the Lord does it. Um, very counter uh, to what the world does in their various enterprises and business um, engagements. So, Jim, it's been great talking with you um, about this. I knew it would be somewhat lively because of our background. But uh, um, go Yankees. I just had to get that out there. Um, you know, everybody knows. That's so, um, but, but we won't brag too much. But it's good to have you on. And uh, we'll continue to pray for you, your work out there. And um, that the Lord will bless it, Richard. Well, thank you, brother. It's been a pleasure being on here, um, and I hope others are blessed by it. So, Absolutely. Hang on the line just a second. So I just let me wrap up with just a few things that I usually do, and not so well, but I'll do them anyway. Coming up on the program, and I have to make sure I have my dates right. Okay, coming up next week, we'll be talking with um, uh, Jeff Kingswood. He is uh, the chairman of the Board of Trustees of Greenville Seminary. He's also an ARP minister, and we'll be talking with him a, a lot about what we've been talking with Jim about today, except we'll be talking about the ARP General Synod that, that occurred uh, not too long ago. The week after that, we'll be uh, speaking with Daniel Jarstifer. He is a pastor of Christ Our Hope Presbyterian Church. It's a PCA congregation, and he's also a graduate of Greenville Seminary as well as a board member, and he'll be on to talk about the 2016 General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. The week after that, Greenville Seminary professors Dr. Ben Shaw and Dr. Sid Dyer will be on to talk about the importance of the biblical languages in the study of the Bible. Now, the program uh, is not just for seminary students, and it's not just for pastors, it's not just for those who are thinking of going to seminary. It, 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 it's, it's really going to be a well-rounded um, uh, discussion on the, the languages, their importance, and, their, and how they affect you know, what your pastor does every week. If he's working in the original languages, he ought to be, and um, to give you a better insight as to what he goes through and, and how you might benefit from that, even though you haven't had necessarily had Greek or Hebrew. Of course, if you're going to seminary, they're going to talk a little bit about how to prepare yourself for it. Um, it it's harder than it looks. I can assure you. So, um, so that'll be August 19th. Week after that, Dr. McGraw will be on to talk about his little book that's been put out by Reformation Heritage Books, Is the Trinity Practical, as well as a few other things, surprises that we have in store for that discussion. There's many more things lined up. Look uh, at our website, confessingyourhope.com. The coming up page will give you all the details as to the guests, the topics, and other relevant information. So until next time, when we talk with Jeff Kingswood uh, about the ARP General Synod that occurred a few weeks ago, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.